So, Gracies and Wishies and Trilogies, all the best things come in threes. And now the salon does too, because tonight is our third salon anniversary! <laughs> It is three years since we first gathered in the snug upstairs. Uh, we didn't even have microphones then. I was so against them. Um, and I've changed how I've changed. Our three salon anniversary guests are Craig Taylor, Maggie O'Farrell, and Diana Athill. Uh, in true style and style, Maggie O'Farrell is reading totally new material from a book she hasn't even finished yet. Craig will be reading for the very first time from his Londoners. And our final guest needs, well, no introduction beyond O-B-E-O-M-G. <laughs> um, anyway, so to our first guest, Craig Taylor edits Five Dials magazine, which descri is described as a heartbreaking PDF of staggering internet genius by him. Um, and he, he writes for The Guardian and Granta. He is the author of Return to Aikenfield and One Million Tiny Plays. At previous salons, Craig has treated us to brilliant bits of his unfolding story, Ash Banditry, which I have to say very carefully. Um, you'll, recall, you'll recall that it's uh, where we were last time was an argument between some men on a plane en route to scatter their friends' ashes about what would happen if the plane was going to crash, who would they sleep with, and one man thought that he should sleep with the other because he was the most attractive person and there was a disagreement and yada, 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 yada. Anyway, he's not doing that tonight. I know some of you are sad about that. I know. I know, I know that you are, um, because he hasn't been working on that. He has, in fact, been doing this, and I have to say, it's brilliant. So, welcome him, reading for the very first time from his new book, Craig Taylor and Londoners. Yeah, no gay sex tonight. This is a collage of voices. There's uh, 82 people in this book talking about what it is to live in this city, what it is to exist in this city. So I'm going to read two of those sections. Um, the subtitle of the book is The Days and Nights of London Now. It's told by those who love it, hate it, live it, left it, and long for it, which should cover most people in this room, I think. So I want to start with... Um, the negative, and then head towards the positive. Some of these people I tried for months to, to get access to. Um, all the people in it exist. Uh, and then sometimes I would just come across someone who would have something to say. Uh, this is a man that I met in a pub. Now he's talking about, you'll see it on the page, um, he's talking about London as opposed to London. And he explains this further. L-O-N-D-I-N as opposed to L-O-N-D-O-N. This is Tim Turner. People sometimes ask me, oh, so where are you from? I say, oh, I'm from London. They can't hear it, but when you say it, it's not the same place. It's a subtle difference, but it's very important to understand it, especially if you're not from here, especially if you're just passing through. It's a different word. It's like when you move here, you're introduced to this charming, attractive person, well-versed in history and up-to-date with all the music, and you decide to meet up. 
that when you get to the pub, their really odd twin sibling is sitting there instead. You can see the similarity, but you just think, wait a minute. What is my life like in the city of London? I get on the tube at Elephant and Castle. I get off the tube at Bank and go to work. The next day I get on the tube at Elephant and Castle. I get off the tube at Bank and go to work. The next day I get on the tube at Elephant and Castle. I get off the tube at Bank and go to work. The next day I get on the tube at Elephant and Castle. I get off the tube at Bank and go to work. I don't think I know what an elephant is anymore. I can't really summon a mental image of an elephant. I hear that word and I just start walking towards work. <laughs> I'm hated. I work in finance. I wear a collection of terrible ties. My work is constant. If I describe it in any detail, I will literally have to fall asleep. I will just have to put my head down on the table and sleep and hopefully dream of another kind of job, a job where I never once have to say the word mortgage. I'm not living in a London of big pleasures and tourism and Russian billionaires and Saatchi galleries and the London Eye, but London. I guess it's a cross between London and Londis, really. <laughs> you're not exactly at Waitrose. You're not even at Sainsbury's. You're not even at Tesco. It's a bit shit in London, <laughs> but there are little pleasures like walking very quickly and listening to my headphones, like the taste of that ready-made pasta they sell at M&S with chunks of feta the size of miniature golf balls, or like the big southbound platform at Angel Station. <laughs> There's so much room on that platform. <laughs> I was there the other day and I thought to myself, why did they make this platform so ridiculously big? <laughs> it's wonderful. It was like I was on a holiday in London. <laughs> you could run up and down it, ride an animal up and down the platform, ride an elephant. Elephant! Watch, I'll start walking to work. I've said the word elephant. <laughs> I had a friend who used to live in South London, but she moved back to Huddersfield a couple years ago. She called me the other night and told me she joined a choir. I said to her, a what? She said, a choir. It was like a word beamed in from another galaxy. Why would she be in a choir when she could spend that time working? How would singing in a choir even work? Why would she even think of stepping away from her desk? I suppose I could join a choir if they held their rehearsals in the aisle of M&S where they keep their takeaway pasta meals. I could just swing by during dinner time for about three minutes before going back to my desk and then sit there and hum, but otherwise, I suppose there are choirs in London. Maybe one day I'll start one in London. The London Men's Choir. Then I had this image of me trying to sneak off to a choir rehearsal or something, something in London, sneaking towards London from London, and just about getting past this enormous sleeping beast, just like tiptoeing past. But then the elephant awakes, and then the castle awakes beside it, tag team. <laughs> and the two of them block my way. You can see it, can't you? With his trunk swinging down, I don't know what the castle would do. Can castles be aggressive? I guess they can when you play chess. I'm going to move to London someday when I'm rich and have finally cashed out and don't have to ever, ever, ever again say that I work for a bank. I'm going to cut all my work ties into little pieces and throw them in the Thames 
and then I'm going to take all this money I've earned, all the money people think I've earned while selling my soul, and I'm going to move from London to London. I'm going to go up to Elephant and Castle for the last time and get on the Bakerloo line and travel north. I'm going to go to Westminster Abbey and the London Eye. And when I'm, when I'm in one of those pods going up to look at the city, some tourist from Munich or Idaho will say to me, oh, is this your first time in London? And I'll be all like, yep. <laughs> and you know what? London is everything I expected it to be. So that, that was, um, we talked for a lot longer, but that was uh, at a pub uh, near Piccadilly. Yeah. I've never seen him since. Um, now the, the next section is quite short, and this is from a woman I met uh, at Toynbee Hall at the, uh, the community center there, and her name was Ethel. I had a caravan down in West Mersey on the beach, and we used to go down there every weekend nearly. But whenever I got there, I'd always want to come back to London. I don't know why, but I always want to get back. Oh, but there's something that gets you in London. There's something here that makes you want to stay in London. A lot of people don't want it. They've got a house. They want to live on their own. They don't want other people to live near them. It's funny. I've got a neighbor, and she doesn't like certain people. But when she was ill, they come in and helped her didn't they? She doesn't want them to live near her, but I'm pleased to have them live near me in case. All different nationalities, all different people mixed up. They help me a lot, these people. I go in every day and they help me up the stairs. I've got my key, but they open the door, and it's a very heavy door. I've had so many m offers to move out to places like Hartford and that, but she taps her finger against her mug of tea. It's just been delivered to her by a volunteer at the community center. I've packed up three times, and each time I've had to tell my grandson, I'm sorry, I don't want to go. I don't want to move. I'm staying where I am now. My son-in-law, he died. They've got a plant hire business down Broxbourne Way, but he died, and my daughter was left on her own. They'd bought me a flat down there, a lovely flat near the river at Broxbourne. I packed everything, but I said to him, I don't really want to move. I want to stay in London. It was a flat by the river in Broxbourne, a nice building, two or th three flats in it. It was very nice. They were buying it for me, and it was going cheap because a nurse and her son were selling it. But I told him I wanted to stay where I am, so I unpacked. He was a bit annoyed. Another time my children come here and they say, we'll be taking you out on the Sunday. Where are we going? Come on, we'll go. And I went with them. Did I ever? And they took me to a flat also in Broxbourne. It was a nice flat with old ladies and that. They said, you can move out with the old ladies. I didn't feel as if I wanted to go. I didn't want to move at all. But I talked to the ladies, or tried to. I went downstairs and had a cup of tea. There you were, sat on the settee with a book, and they didn't talk. I looked around at these ladies in Broxbourne. I looked back and forth. I looked at this flat. I thought, they're not very friendly here. It was so quiet. It might have been painful for them to even say a word. But an old lady with a walker was there. I went over and talked to her. She was looking for company in that. She spoke very slowly. But anyway, I didn't take it, not that flat. 
There's something that gets you in London and you don't want to let go. It's so quiet in the country, isn't it? Too quiet. You meet so many people here that you get to talk to and that I've been here so many years, I've picked up so many friends. I think there's something here in the East End. It's all different nationalities. You get mixed up with them, don't you? When I ran the little charity shop around there, I used to meet all sorts of people, mostly Asians, my best customers, the Asians. Plenty of men around there had no places to live in that. And they used to come in and buy bits of furniture. They must have been given little flats eventually. And they take their little bits of furniture. Oh, London. You never know if you're going to be ill or fall. I did fall years ago. And I crawled to the door and I opened the door and I called help. Two Asian boys that live upstairs, they come and they got me help. They phoned the ambulance, got my son for me, helped me right to the last, right until I got into the ambulance. You wouldn't think that, but they did. They stayed with me until, until the ambulance come and my son come. They held my hand. All the things that have happened to you all them years, where you've been and who you've been with, all the different people I've met, I always seem to get on with them. If I see people, I always talk to people. That's just what I do. I wouldn't move. I wouldn't go out again. I like London. I wouldn't like to live in the country. All that quiet. So that's, that's two of them. And there are about 80 more, so. So, Craig, um, as it won't have escaped many of the people here, Craig is a foreigner um, <laughs> to whom we have given a legal right to remain. <laughs> he's entitled to work in this country um, and he's a national security number. So, but what is it about you being other that, that attracts you or enables you to, to talk about these, these people that you've come up against? Um. It allows you to ask stupid questions. It allows you to not pretend that you know something. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's served me very well over the past few years. Doing this kind of work, it's just, it's license, I guess. To ask questions. To ask. Well, just to not know something and to mm. wait until someone tells you. Um, yeah. Wh were you not knowing or were you, were, or were you knowing and, and waiting for them to confirm what you thought you knew? No, no, I think you know, there was no plan. Um, when, when did you start? This book took about five years, and and you know it only really came together um, in the last year in terms of making it into a book. But there was no real plan. There was the the effort was to go out and just see what was there, see what people would say. Don't impose a view on the city, but have the city answer. Answer back. Ask questions. Or them. don't ask questions. A lot of the time, it was a you know it was just a, a case of not asking questions, letting people talk about something their pa their parents or their partner would be too tired to hear. So kind of like a therapy slash cabbie <laughs> role, <laughs> you know, just, just kind of a lot of a lot of listening. Where, where did, I mean, was there an idea for a book or was it just, you know, do you, you had a conversation and you thought there are more conversations like this to be had? Where did the, the genesis of it come well from? Well, for the, for the first while, th I was pretty lost, just, you know, hoping that a book would come out of it. And then I, um, I downloaded a list of verbs, all the verbs in English. Okay, big list. I <laughs> <laughs> went through them and just tried to find every one that applied to the word London, and then I had another huge list, but that was a good guiding document. So cutting London, cleaning London, cremating London, 
dominating one than anything that you there's know, a dominatrix yeah. in there so. and in here actually <laughs> at least there are two that i saw coming earlier and cremators as well yeah yeah i yeah. don't know if we have any cremators in tonight um but so how did you find the people who i mean with my kind of journalist head on i was thinking you know this is, this is a book of many case studies there are lots and lots of people in here what you know what did you do did you kind of put shout outs on facebook or twitter or were you was one interesting person leading you to another how did it work yeah yeah it wasn't really a facebook book or a twitter book um it was mostly you know the different organizations but also people would say oh you know who you should talk to and that was always a good a good tip and then some people would just would veer you'd think you'd be talking to them for one reason and all of a sudden they would just begin talking about something else so who was the most surprising in that way well there's a there's a pakistani currency trader who i met at this tall person's club he, what <laughs> yeah craig why were you there well he, no, i was <laughs> i was there <laughs> i was there uh, to write about it for uh, for the guardian but he You're was like, like no, he's he's about six foot two, so we had this odd moment where I just looked up about an inch or two and thought, "I love his here. story." Yeah, well, the thing was, we got um, we met up to talk about being tall, being tall, and then being he tall in <laughs> London, <laughs> and then he told me the story of of growing up in in Libya, going to Pakistan, coming here, working in a fried chicken restaurant, desperately wanting to work in the currency markets, going to the city in dressed in his only suit to listen to dry currency talks. Um, afterwards, not being able to network because he would have to admit that he works in cottage chicken, and, yeah. and, and you know, but always driving towards this goal—a goal that I would never, you know. Want. But he's not ever. Uh, I didn't ever get desperateness from him. No, I always no. thought there was a certain kind of, you know, I, I, I mean, I imagine that you know it wasn't a great suit, and that I, you know he was he was nervy and all the rest of it. But I didn't ever get a kind of. It was it was genuine. He ge that that was his dream, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I think what's great about the book is that there are so many people who come here and they all have different dreams. And, and some, you know, some of them, one person's dream, I guess, is another person's nightmare. But there's the, the boy who comes from Iran, the gay boy who comes here via his brother who's got yeah, here yeah. somehow. He that story's amazing. Yes, yeah, so he, sneaks, he sneaks across on a, on a lorry and then runs down the highway towards Peterborough and ends up, you know, ends up in Waterloo Station thinking, this is the greatest moment of my life. And Imagine how desperate you have to be. <laughs> That is that is uh, some serious desperation. And so there were other other people in the book that I loved. Um, I loved um, the. Well it's actually the towards the end. Um, the, the the girl from Newcastle who didn't go to London, and the girl from Newcastle who did go yeah, to London, yeah. and they were best friends. This is weird because it's like we're talking about people you don't know, but you will get to know them. Um, and it's just the most remarkable story, really, because they were they were they were they were best friends. And one of them was how old when she fell in love with a boy who was in a band in London. I think she was thirteen. Mm. She came to here at age fourteen. Yeah, that's dubious. Yeah. And there's there I'm sure there are legal reasons why you don't identify the 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 guy who's in the band, which went on to become a famous band. Yeah, she <laughs> she actually never told me the band. Oh come on, that no. was my next question. Yeah, oh God, sorry. <laughs> Did she really? Something play, so cold. Oh, oh no. shut up. <laughs> Somebody Jackson. <laughs> she was too old. Uh, so, other other favorites that I had, I I really liked the estate agent. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was remarkable, and he and he spoke really eloquently about, you know. The, the fact that people need a space to call their own in London and that some people will go and look at a basement flat and just be absolutely repulsed and horrified and other people for them it's a real kind of it's a, a real kind of dream 
it actually made me like his day agents. Well, he, he had a thing too where he, um, I really wanted to touch on the ladder because the ladder, when, since I've been here, it seems this, the ladder, this yeah. abstract idea of what we all have to be engaging with. And, and he just talked about it in such a, you know, he t there's a moment in the book where he talks about rolling around on the carpet in his first property in Bromley <laughs> like that he's bought and just thinking, I am on the ladder, I am here. <laughs> and I mean, that's a really emotional, it's a, it's a good way to get at this, this thing that we all have to deal with. And now he, unless we're laughing at him, he owns 10 properties, <laughs> doesn't he? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, what didn't get into the book was that he takes two years off sometimes. What? Because he just makes money How from his property. How old is he? How old? He's like, it's you like know. 40. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I like him less now. <laughs> what else didn't go in the book? Who didn't make it? Were there whole people there who didn't yeah, make it? Yeah, I or mean, there were, it was, it was pretty amazing to see, like, the kinds of people who, who were interesting. And um, I mean, I got, I remember sitting with uh, Bill Clegg, who's a QC, who's very famous and a, you know one of the best lawyers around, but his story just wasn't as interesting as this trio of very young lawyers who, who were kind of in it. Where he, was, he was looking at London from a very accomplished peak. Mm. And these young guys were you know talking about which court you go to to get off for a certain kind of charge. No, that is fascinating. Yeah. That is really, because it's like, you know, if there's a murder, you want to be in this postcode, and if there's a burglary, you want to be in this postcode. I mean, and genuinely, they knew, you know, I mean, it's it And if you're up for drugs, you don't want to be in the court that's in the Gatwick corridor. You, you know, you yeah. there's all these things, and I felt like these guys were, you know, they're at the beginning of their careers. How old are they? 35. Because they were very young. Yeah. And there was a race issue that came up there as well, which was really interesting, because how many of them were they all black? They were, they were one's um, Sri Lankan, one's Indian, and one is of Ghanaian descent. And they, yeah, there's a great line where they talk about that, that part from Men in Black, where they, you know, when they put on the wigs, they make it look damn good. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of liked, I kind of liked that as well. And, and, and predictably, perhaps, I liked the soldier, who was the horse guard, yeah, I love that story. Obviously, um, and but I thought that th all that bit funny business in St James's Park ended with Noel Coward. I didn't realize I was missing a trick. Quite literally, no, um, no. Because he, ca he calls it tiking, tiking. Yeah. And so, so I mean, this is because this does seem like something that should have stopped in the fifties, but this is happening now. Well, yeah, I think the interesting thing with him is that he was able to talk about the great pomp of of these official events and riding with the Queen, and you know, but then on the other side of things. He and his friends were being paid. You've got to. He, you've is, got he to and his friends were being audience. paid by uh, by lawyers to wrestle Greco naked Greco Roman wrestling. You're looking at me like I would remember better than you, Craig. I don't know. In oil. In oil, yeah. And so, so you had this combination of you know doing something very proper. Did he do that? Because it wasn't. He didn't admit to it. He didn't admit to it. He's so totally dead. <laughs> So dead. But what I thought was really interesting about that was that he he is wearing these amazing clothes and he's riding this horse and there's all this pomp and circumstance. It's just London of postcards and you know royal weddings and he's living in barracks where he has to pull a blanket over his face to stop the rats biting his face at night. Yeah, yeah. right. So and I that's mean. now. Yeah, no, that was a little while ago. But yeah, but yeah, that was the that was that the seems the Dickensian to me. Yeah, and some of the stuff that that was really Dickensian. And to come back to the girl from Newcastle, you know, her wandering around the streets in these in these boots that she can hardly walk in, now listening when? to Suede, you know, feeling s more sad than anyone else in the city. There was, uh, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that, that seemed like it. The stories had their roots back in a previous era, and I guess some of them are eternal. You know, you come to the city. 
for a reason, and those reasons don't often change. I think that's. I think it's really interesting to try and find the parts of the city that are eternal, the stories that that seem recognisable or similar. Um, and I thought it was fascinating at the end when you were talking to the man from Canary Wharf, and he was saying, you know, it's Canary Wharf is Canary Wharf. It was a ruin. We've we've built it up into this into this thing, but eventually Canary Wharf will just become London. You know, projecting forward. And then the pilot that you interview says, you know, you you fly above London and you see London growing out like the East Enders map. You know, from the river you see these populations, and then they kind of gradually spread out. And there are people you also speak to who are afraid of London coming to them in yeah, Surrey. Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a yeah a councillor, a politician in Surrey who just views it as this beast that's just getting closer and closer. <laughs> and and uh, is it? Yeah, I mean, the Surrey town, just I can't remember the exact, the, the hall the, where they have their, their meetings, the politicians have their meetings, they have these plaques on the wall of these different areas, most of which are in London now. And it's like the city is just creeping and creeping and creeping. And um, so, yeah, he was, an, he was a good person to talk to, very fearful of the you know, enlarging beast that is... Yeah, no, he, I mean, yeah, he was genuinely quite terrified. <laughs> it was like it was going to come and you know knock on his door and get him. So, I um I used to do a column for the Times called Urban Guerrilla, which was all about different postcodes um, in London. Um, I know, um, and it was that bad. Um, and I and I got you know I remember walking around different parts of London, being really white with my notebook and having people chase me, <laughs> and it being you know a little bit a little bit difficult at points. But the idea, the conceit behind this pe this column was that um, that London was a city of villages, and we were talking to Diana earlier and she said London is a city of villages. And I kind of, I think that it is geographically, you know, people say I live in this postcode or I'm a South Londoner or a North Londoner. But I do also think it's a city of tribes. Um, and, you, and you touch on that in the book and I wonder if you want to talk a bit more about, about that. About finding belonging? In yeah. In these yeah, I think it's, uh, it's very much the case where people can come here and yeah, that, that sense of freedom that they wouldn't get elsewhere. And... Yeah, I mean, I guess everybody in here is, is part of a tribe in some ways. I mean, I was interested in going to these places where, where people were using old language or they were using, I mean, the fruit market. I went to the fruit market out in, in the Far East of London, um, New Spitalfields, and that to me was a fascinating tribe where these guys, every night that they sell fruit to each other, they've been doing it for years, they use the same tricks, the same language, you know, the the fruit seller will put his phone up to his ear and pretend he's having a call until the phone rings and he has to admit that he's, <laughs> you know, he's lying. And, you know, it, but they reenact this thing every, every night and they have special terms. What are some of the other words? Because they're, they're quite fascinating. The, the quantities, they lie, you know, the numbers. And yeah, the, you yeah. You do words backwards. It's a little bit kind yeah. of like Polari, some of it at the end. Well, it's all codified and they, yeah. all, they all play to this code. And it's, it was, you know, it was fascinating to see that the white Londoners were, you know, on, it was decreasing their presence in the market, and and the Turks were coming in, the Chinese were coming in, and but the language was staying the same. So you yeah, get these young Turkish guys speaking in Cockney rhyming slang and, and adopting, you know, the way that the market spoke. And I thought that was uh, that was pretty fascinating. So maybe the population change, but in some sense, the language is is eternal, or at least what we think of as the language. Because it's a very practical language. Yeah. So that if you come in, you you have to know certain things, but. But the theater of it all is what I love too, where these people, every night, they just lie through their teeth to each other <laughs> and call each other, you know, the number of 
swear words I had to cut from that was just incredible. You can swear. It's okay. Yeah, he's he's thinking. He does swear in the book. Um, but people are literally taking, st- you know, taking a rotten banana and putting it in somebody's box of bananas and saying, yeah. "Look at these bananas. They're yeah. shit." And you're, and you know, and, and it still works. You know, yeah. and I, I thought that it was like a Punch and Judy show. I really liked. That. And the way he walks around. I mean, I I met this guy a few times. And what time and did you go there? Well, it's it's open from midnight onwards, so it's open throughout the night. And so it it's was like, like a watching. Fruit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like watching a, a a Scorsese film, like that tracking shot in Goodfellas, where this guy just walks around and knows every single person and has something to say. And he wasn't wearing a belt the one of the nights I was there interviewing him, so he was endlessly like pulling up his trousers, tucking in his shirt, <laughs> saying hello, grabbing a piece of fruit, eating an apricot, throwing the pit. O- you know, it was uh, those are the kind of people that you that you want, and he's. He's pretty happy about it. He's flying to New York on his own dime to <laughs> publicity. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yes? Yeah, he loves it, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I love that. How many of them are you still in touch with? Quite a, quite a few. You know, there's been this... Uh, yeah. Are you, are you still in touch with the dominatrix? She's coming to the launch party? Yeah. yeah. That is a hilarious story because she, she, you know, she just had kind of like a quarter life crisis and decided that she wanted, you know, dominatrixness was her calling, right? But and she London also touches on something that, you know, we all know that different parts of London have different feel, different tones, and if you've lived here for a while, certain streets will remind you of certain memories. And she just ends it with this line where she says, you know, I and I'll always go to Kentish Town, and you might have some memories in Kentish Town, but I have the memories of really whipping someone's ass. <laughs> <laughs> For her, that's, you know, the, her great memory of Kentish Town. Oh she was wonderful. She was a great businesswoman, too. She I'm so glad I've never been there. Okay, <laughs> questions. Sylvia, of course. Yes, there you are. Was, is, is there a dominant, dominant, I use that, <laughs> a dominant theme in, in the book for you? Or a question um, that you kept returning to, perhaps? Stand on the right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like or be trampled. Keep moving. Keep you know. That was it. Get out of the way. Uh, there's, there's the, the the prologue is from this guy who's left London now, but he talks about the moment he knew he was a Londoner when uh, he was trying to get off a bus and there were some tourists standing in his way, and he just thought, "Get the fuck out of my way!" Like he yelled at them, <laughs> and he got out onto the pavement and sort of stared at himself and thought, "What have I become?" And you know, so, so that's. We've all felt that way. <laughs> um, and I do sometimes punch them. Ella. Yeah, I, are you still collecting stories? Yeah. Um, it's, it's almost a relief to come and start looking at the city or being in the city without having to look at it in a, in a mercenary way. You, you know, it's a relief to, to not have to think, oh, that looks interesting. Or that's, oh, who's that person? Or who does that job? So, um, yeah, there was a time when I knew it was kind of time, time to stop, but... Will you revisit it? I mean, I, I think there are parts of it that I could see easily being dramatized or being performed as monologues by people. Is that something you've thought about? Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll take it as it comes. I mean, it is real people. It is, you know, their, their words. And uh, What's the legal situation with that? I mean, because well you've made them, you've tidied them up, right? Yeah, you made them yeah. sound better than they are. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, well, yeah. And well, no, that's his job. Yeah, yeah. We so all do it. You, know, you just have to be mindful of a lot of these things. Yeah. And that's what, yeah, that's what. Okay. Uh, lots of questions. Uh, you and then Claire. Go. Um, 
Oh, yeah. Which, which type of Londoner are you? Are you one of those who love it, hate it, live it, but you haven't left it and you don't long for it because you're here and you are Craig Taylor, so... I don't know. I don't even know if I'm a Londoner though. That was the. Are that you? I mean, that's well, a very good question. Are you a Londoner? When, I feel when like do you I think you might be? I feel like talking to some of these people. I have. You've a lived in London more than I have. I know, but there's this. I don't know. It was such a strange word that people. You know, I, I feel like in the last while that word even has been prized away from some people. Like when I would ask around what a Londoner was, a lot of people would say, "Oh, Bow Bells. You have to be. Oh. You know, all that stuff." But then it got broader and broader and broader, and it was great hearing. You know. Young Ghanaian kid saying, "No, I'm a Londoner. I'm, you know, I deserve." And there's some kid from Macclesfield who had been here a month saying, "No, I'm a Londoner." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you're waiting to be mugged. <laughs> yeah. Claire. But, yeah. Your question. So the, 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 the question was, uh, 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 you know, you have not imposed yourself on the people that you're asking questions of or listening to, rather. Um, do you think that, that that kind of absenting of self is in some way a, a dying art? Well, I think when you start celebrating it in yourself, <laughs> you've lost it. You know, like, it's, it's not rocket science. You just shut up. It's <laughs> yeah, well, but I think when if, if I was to sit up here and pretend that it was some great thing that I learned or a technique, that would be... Oh, but you know, like it, it is, in a way, because the thing, the criticism that I have of you about this book is that there isn't enough of you in it. Um, I wanted to find out more about your journey, because oh, at the beginning you talk about arriving, you know, that, 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 that lift that you have in that car on that day and the petrol crisis and the weather and all the rest of it. And I think that, great, you know, I'm, I'm being given a context for this. Um, and, then you and then you disappear, and there are moments when I, because I know you, you appear, but, you know, but you're, you're, you're very but deft. I, I felt like... It was a way of embodying more than... I mean, I was able to produce these sometimes contradictory opinions that mm. I believe in. Um, and, you know, I think, I think it's all about me in a way. It's, it's all voiced by other people, but it's a lot of the contradictory feelings that I have. That, you know, the, the person at the end who absolutely hates this place some days, you know, that's me. And so I think, yeah, the, the fingerprints are light. The, you don't get a lot of me in it, but, but I think... They're there. They're there. <laughs> Okay. Craig Taylor, thank you very much. Thank you.